it's, um, like I said, good to be here with you today. I was reminded before service that if half the cows are gone, the farmer doesn't feed them the whole bale. Um, It actually wasn't you. You may have been thinking it, but you actually didn't say it out loud to me. But, you know, I've never been that kind of farmer. I figure if, if if I got up the whole bale, I'm going to feed it all. So... Uh, I guess you guys, I guess you, I guess you guys just get twice as much as you would have otherwise. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter two today, so go ahead and, and be heading over there. Genesis chapter two, the very first book in the Bible, and we're going to pick up in verse eighteen in just a moment. Uh, Genesis chapter two and verse eighteen, and today we're going to begin a series on the family. I, I've titled it "Focus on the Family." I know there's an organization by that name. Uh, this is not related to them in any way, other than. Uh, We both talk about the family, and we're going to be covering a pretty wide range of topics, and today we're going to be looking at God's plan for marriage, God's plan for marriage. Now, you might be single, or maybe uh, maybe you're single again, and you might be thinking, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me, so I'm just going to go ahead and tune out. This still has something to say to you because, number one, you may not be single forever, you may get married one day, or at the very least... Uh, the Bible speaks to one of the big issues that's facing our culture today, and that is the issue of sexual purity and God's plan for marriage. Now, my plan as it stands at this point, and of course these things are always subject to change, is that we're going to talk about the institution of marriage as a whole. We're not going to talk so much about uh, the relationship between husband and wife at this point. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, but we'll talk about the institution of marriage as a whole today, Then uh, next week, I plan on talking about God's plan for singleness. We don't really talk about that in the American church. And then we're going to look at husbands and wives, moms, dads, kids, all that stuff. Now, with all the competing messages that we get in our culture today, um, it's my hope that that this series is either going to remind us or maybe inform us for the first time about God's plan for our families because God has a design for how the family should work. I'm reminded of Psalm 127, which says, Unless the Lord builds a house... They labor in vain who build it. And, and that, that speaks to me because God has a plan for each and every person's family. And if we try to redefine or restructure or reorganize this basic unit of the family, it's going to ultimately end in destruction. So if you found Genesis chapter 2, the text is going to be up on the screen in just a second. And uh, verse 18, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we'll start in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field, But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as we look at this first marriage, and if you've been to uh, Christian, Christian weddings, you probably have heard this verse or this passage uh, read or quoted or alluded to. Uh, 
many, many times, but this first marriage happened by God, it was conducted by God Himself in the Garden of Eden. And, and I want you to notice a few of these details, a few of these uh, things that point to His plan for marriage. And if you don't get anything else out of the whole sermon, I want you to remember this one sentence. If I could sum up God's plan for marriage in one sentence, here it is. One man and one woman for one lifetime. One man and one woman for a lifetime. Now that is the ideal. You say, well, I don't see that happening very often in America. It doesn't happen very often, but it is achievable and it is God's ideal. Is that silly thing acting up again? Um, just, just ignore it, Caleb. It'll get to the end one of these days and then, uh, then it'll stop, I hope. May, may start over again. I don't know. Anyway, I want us to look at these details of this wedding and see what we can see about God's plan for marriage. First, I want you to notice verses 18 to 20. And I want you to see here that marriage completes people. Marriage completes people. Now, if you're single, I don't want you to come up to me after the service and give me an earful. Oh, what are you saying that I'm not complete? I don't need any man or woman to complete me. I'm, I'm, you know, whatever. I don't need any of that stuff. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not my idea. Okay, if you have a problem with it, take it up with the Bible. Because verse 18, you'll see that God was the one who said it. Now listen, God has a plan for singleness for some people. He has that chosen for some people. And two of the most notable people in Christianity were in fact single. The Apostle Paul was single, at least during the time of his apostleship. Jesus Christ was single. Now those are two of the the biggest uh, figures in Christianity. So if you're single, realize you may be the exception to the rule, but the rule, the rule of thumb in verse 18 is that God says it is not good for man to be alone. That's not the norm. Now if you take the creation account as a whole, maybe you've never done this before, but if you think of all of chapter 1 and what God has said, and then compared to what he said in chapter 2, you'll notice some differences. Uh, One is one that I hadn't really thought of until uh, I was studying for this. But all through chapter 1, God would create this or that. He would make the animals. He would make the sky. He would make whatever it is. And then it would say, he would look at it and say what? It's good. All right? It's it's good. I did a good job here. But then all of a sudden we get to chapter 2, and it says that he looked at Adam, and he was alone, and he said, that's not good. This is the first time that any of God's creation is termed not good. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that women bring something to the marriage relationship that men are lacking. Some of you women might be saying, yeah, a brain, or something like that. That may be true. But you know what? Men bring something to the marriage relationship that women are lacking as well. And it's these things combined that more accurately and wholly reflect the image of God. Now, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life up in, up in uh, verse 7, man became a living being. But when God joined Adam and Eve in marriage, he became a completed being. Marriage completes people. Would, would somebody just turn the projector off? Thanks. I see everybody looking at it, and since my notes aren't up there, I'm guessing that uh, it's, it's acting up. Now, some of you might be looking at verse 18, and you might be kind of bristling at this because it uses that word helper. And it speaks of, uh, it speaks of Eve being a helper suitable for Adam. And you might be thinking to yourself, now, I ain't nobody's helper. Ain't nobody going to tell me that I'm going to help some man or, or whatever it is. And, and you might kind of bristle at that because 
in today's culture, we're so hypersensitive to things. We think that, uh, that this is saying that Eve is somehow inferior to Adam or that women are somehow inferior to men. That is not the case. The word that's translated as helper is also used of God himself. When God helps his people, this same word that's used of Eve is used of God. Now, God is not inferior to his people. Rather, because of our differences, men and women help one another in a marriage relationship. Thank you, Adam. So, marriage completes people. The next thing I want you to see is in verse 24. And that is that marriage is exclusive. Marriage is exclusive. Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A man shall, be, shall leave his father and his mother. That means women leave their father and mother as well. Back where I come from, they used to call that cutting the apron strings. It means that, that you leave your, your parents. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you, you shun them, that you don't have anything to do with them? No, it means that once we get into a marriage relationship, that marriage bond surpasses, it supersedes the relationship we have with our parents. It doesn't do away with it. It surpasses it. Also, we see this exclusivity in marriage and there being only one marriage partner. It's not multiple men and one woman. It's not uh, multiple women and one man. It's one man in, and one woman in a special exclusive relationship. One man, one woman. Next, I want you to see that it is permanent. Marriage is to be permanent. Now, I realize I'm getting ready to go where angels fear to tread. <laughs> Marriage is to be a permanent institution. How do we see that? Well, look at verse 24 again. My Bible says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, if you read the King James, it says, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the idea behind that word cleave or my translation says joined. It's the idea of glue. It's like gluing two pieces of paper together. And you all have glued paper together before. You ever had one of those moments where you glued it together, and then you said, Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Then you try to pull it apart. But after the glue dries, what happens? It, it, I mean, you'll, you'll tear the paper up, but it, if you can get those pieces apart, I mean, it just destroys things, doesn't it? That is a picture of marriage and divorce. And again, it does a lot of damage. And I'm not casting any stones. I know the, the pain of, of divorce firsthand from, a, from the child's perspective. And I know that it is, is very painful. Why? Because marriage is more than a social contract. Marriage is more than a piece of paper you get from the state or the county. Marriage is when God joins two people together. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And when man tries to separate that which God has joined together in the act of marriage, it tears things up. Just like if you try to tear pieces of paper that are glued together, try to tear those apart, it does a lot of damage. Now, having said that, what if there's been a divorce? Does that mean that, that those people are, are cast out of the kingdom or something? Absolutely not. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. God made an allowance for divorce, but he doesn't command it. And Jesus pointed out in his discussion on divorce 
uh, in, in Matthew 19 and other, other places that that was never God's intention in the first place. He allowed it in a certain circumstance because of the hardness of men's hearts, but that is not God's ideal. His ideal has always been one man and one woman for one lifetime. So, what is the application? That's, that's the principle. That's the rule of thumb. How does this apply? How does the Bible apply this idea or this, this principle, this plan, to the rest of life? Well, it makes several applications, one of which is that marriage is to be permanent, which I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to belabor the point. The second one is, is one that is actually talked about a lot more than divorce is, and that is that sex outside of marriage is sinful. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. Now, God created sex, and therefore, it's a good thing. It's not dirty. It's not, it's not evil. It's not wicked or inappropriate when it's done within the bounds and confines of marriage. See, God's plan is like a straight line. It's like a straight stick. And any deviation from that plan, from that straight line, is sin. So, for instance, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, and if you uh, write scriptures down, you might jot these down on the back of your bulletin if you want to look back at them later. Hebrews 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now this word that's translated here as fornicators and is translated elsewhere as immoral or immorality, it's the Greek word porneia, which has the, it, it covers just a wide range of sexual sin. It can be sex outside of, of the marriage bond, it can be adultery, it can be homosexuality, it can be a wide range of things. Okay, so sexual sin, he says, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute as one body with her. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. That should sound familiar. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. In other words, if you're a Christian, you'll need to be involved in any of that stuff, including things like greed, which we don't think of as being that big a deal today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, to what do all those things say? All those verses tell us the same thing. God wants you to be sexually pure before, during, and after marriage. God wants you to be sexually pure before, during, and after marriage. So if you are not married, let me boil it down even simpler. If you're not married, you shouldn't be sleeping with anybody. If you are married, you should only be sexually active with your spouse. That's, I don't know how, how much simpler this could be, because God's plan for marriage is extremely simple. One man 
and one woman for one lifetime. It's not two men. It's not two women. It's not multiple spouses. It's not sex outside of marriage. It's not sex with a partner besides your spouse. It's, it's, it's a man and a woman for a lifetime. Deviation from that is sin. Now, the world calls this all kinds of different things. But you know what? You can justify it. You can rename it. You can, you can do it till you're blue in the face, but God's Word doesn't change. It is what it is. So I wonder, as we think about the family, are you facing something in your family? Maybe you've got something going on in your marriage. And again, we're going to talk about husbands and wives and kids and all that at a later date. But maybe you've got something going on in your marriage and you need to, you need to get that worked out. Maybe you, maybe you need to get that worked out with the spouse today. You both said things you didn't mean, you shouldn't have said. Maybe you need to have a meeting of the minds. Reconcile. Maybe you have a kid that you'd like to lift up in prayer. Maybe you have a grandkid you'd like to lift up in prayer. Maybe maybe you practice some sort of immorality that you need to repent of. Maybe you're thinking about marrying somebody. And maybe you need to reconsider who you're, who you're thinking about marrying or at least think more deeply about it. Because I hate to tell you, things, we always think, well, after I marry him, I'll fix him. He or she's a fixer-upper. No, it ain't going to get any better. <laughs> it's, I've, uh, I saw an article, and this is, this is kind of way off base, but and maybe I shouldn't even say it, but there's, there's this kind of an Internet joke, I guess you'd say, about the dad bod and how it's real popular today, you know, not being all trim and, and ripped and handsome and all these things. And a big part of the reason that the dad bod is so in is because the girls like being with some guy that doesn't look better than them. But one of the articles that I, I read said, it was talking about this, this phenomenon, how this get more popular, and it basically said, hey, there's no false advertising here. Because if, if they look like this now, you're not going to see some Adonis before you get married and then be surprised whenever he puts on 50 pounds after you get married. But listen... It's just like the body. But if you think that the dead body is the end, that's the beginning. It's only going to go downhill from there. And it's like that with all of life, isn't it? We think, well, after I get married, I'll fix him or her up, and I'll get them to do what I, what I think they should be doing and living like I think they should live and, and fix them all up. That, that doesn't happen. We, you might be thinking about, about marrying somebody or getting into a relationship with somebody. You need to look at the way they are now because it, it may get better, but there's a good chance it's, it's going to be at least that level. Maybe it's going to go down. Or maybe I'm, I'm talking about all this and you've, you've never repented of your sin, that uh, sexual sin or some other sin, and you've never been saved before. And you may be hearing this and thinking, oh man, does this mean because I've done this, that, and the other that, that God can't save me? No, Jesus died for that sin. He knew you were going to do that before you were ever born. And he still died on the cross for you. There, there's forgiveness. And maybe you need to get saved today. Whatever decision it is, whatever uh, prayer you need to offer up to God, 
I invite you to do that. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation, so please uh, stand with me as our musicians come. And maybe you, again, maybe you have something on your heart. Maybe it's related to this. Maybe it's totally unrelated. And you just need to talk to God about it. Now's the time to do it.